Open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you're opening to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Val, we're going to go ahead and just skip all the questions up top and just go straight to the passage. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do today. Uh, it's something we've actually uh, never quite done intentionally uh, in the last 11 years. This is Labor Day weekend. I realize a lot of people are gone traveling. But uh, it was really pressing upon my heart that as we gather together corporately as a church today, that we remember the theological doctrine of work, vocation of work. Why do we do what we do? All of us are basically looking at this weekend as an opportunity just to relax and rest on Monday. But it is critical that we recover the biblical revolutionary view of what work is. I was thankful for some of you that pray for teachers and safe passageway. Particularly this morning, as I look at our city, I'm burdened for our teachers who've already been in classrooms. But it is critical, not just for teachers, but for all of us who have jobs, vocations, doing some sort of work, that we recognize what today signifies as Christians for us. And lastly, at the end, we're going to do sort of a commissioning for all of you. We commission missionaries and pastors, and I don't know why we stopped there. Why do we not commission all of you where you'll be on Tuesday in your offices, your classrooms, the office, uh, 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 various places that we find ourselves in, even in our homes. And so that's what we're sort of going to do. And what I'm going to do today is essentially kind of summary of a long sermon series that we did about a year and a half ago. Uh, Kalta, can you do me a favor? We just reach into my bag. There's a bright red book. Forgot to bring it up here. Hold it up. Turn around. Hold it up. It's a book called Every Good Work. Some of you guys have already read it. It's by a pastor named Tim Keller. <laughs> you, should, you should be a, a book model or is that what they call it? Um, it was really good. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to go ahead and buy that book because it's one of the more profound and helpful books that I've read about why we do what we do. So having said that, let's go ahead and look at this passage. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's, it's fair to say that society individuals are suffering and hurting because we don't have a revolutionary biblical view of what work is. I ask even Christians, typical Christian, why do you work or what's your theology or vocation or why do you, what's your outlook on work? Many people will say work is something that I do for a living so that I can make money in order to do what I really want to do. Work for many of us is something I do for a living. Is it true for anybody? What I do for a living so that I can make money, so I can do what I really want to do. It's what I hear a lot, even from Christians. So you talk to a, a Christian surgeon, for example, who says that a lot of people in surgery are no longer doing surgery or in the medical profession because it helps people in the process of healing. But surgery allows me to make a certain kind of living that makes me a certain kind of money so that I can do what I really want to do, buy the things that I really want to buy, go visit the things I really want to visit. Lawyers no longer work and accept cases for justice's sake or for the world's sake, but in order to make money so they can do what they really want to do. Thank you so much, Michael. Oh, you have, I have an option too? One with ice, one without? I will take the one with ice, thank you. <laughs> Michael is an amazing servant, as many of you already know. 
But here's what happens when we get, listen, here's what happens when we get uh, inundated or influenced by the world's view of work. That is something that I do for a living so that I can make money to do what I want to do. We become obsessed with what I do, where I work, and how much I make. We become obsessed. Think about you right now. Obsessed with what I do and how much I make. And when what I do and how much I make doesn't really resonate with us, we think things like, God, look at what I do. And you know what God says? God says, I am far less concerned with what you do and where you work and how much you make rather than I am way more concerned with how you do your job right where you are. I am way more concerned about how you do your work right where I have placed you. Yeah, but God, you know what I do. He actually does know what you do. And God says, listen, you're concerned right now. I know who I'm talking to, 25 years old. You're you're so concerned right now with God, I want to do this and I want to do this career. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I want to get out of here as quick as possible. And God goes, When's the last time you prayed, God, help me to do my job right here, right now, faithfully, and to the best of my best ability? Because ultimately, I serve you. Not my boss, not my supervisor, not for a paycheck. Have we been influenced by what the world tells us? So you're sitting here right now, and you're miserable at work. Look, I don't want to minimize the fact that some of us are in very, very tough work situations. Can I just be honest? For a lot of you, again, in your 20s, you're going, I hate what I do. Almost always it's because of what you do, where you are, how much you make. And it has very little to do with God. Have you called me to this place for this time for your sake? Listen, do you really think you're there accidentally? Do you really think you're there because, well, you know, it's just the economy and temporarily I'm just kind of, oh, we'll go in and kind of get into that. Today, uh, so I can get to the commissioning, in this, in this short passage, Paul lays down essentially the foundational things about what we talk about when we talk about the, the vocation of work, theology, doctor, biblical doctrine of work. And, 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 and again, I don't have time to unpack and go deeply into things. I want to encourage you. Check out the podcast where we spent about five weeks on it. Here's the first truth that Paul reminds us of, and that's this. All forms of work is inherent dignity. All forms of work. Where do we get that? Look at verse 11 again. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business. By the way, this kind of sounds like, does anybody remember Dana Carvey, Saturday Night Live, a long time ago? Church lady? Does anybody remember church lady? Mind your own business. Be quiet. Get to work. Sounds like Paul is yelling at us. That's not what he's doing. Listen to what he says. Mind your business and to work with your hands. You might underline that, highlight it. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And what Paul says there in that context could not have been more revolutionary. Why? Do you remember what the Greeks and Romans thought? Greeks and Romans thought what? That the material world was evil, was bad. And that the spiritual world was good. And so in their mindset, the body, the material was evil, bad, dirty, and the spiritual was good. And so in their worldview, naturally kind of led to this, working with your hands, and definitely manual labor, working with dirt, is the furthest thing from what you want to do. So the major philosopher, Cicero, Aristotle, basically said what? If you really want to work, become a philosopher, become a teacher, 
you know, go into information industry. But whatever you do, don't do retail. Whatever you do, don't work with your hands. And Paul goes smack in the face of that and says, work with your hands. For those of you that have been influenced by what the culture says about what's valuable, what's important, Paul says, don't follow the values of the world, but be shaped by values of God. And what is the value of God? When you look at Genesis, and when you look at the beginning of all things, and what God says about work, it, it it's absolutely revolutionary. Let me show you. We'll go to Genesis 2 real quick. Genesis 2, 2. This is, this is the creation account. Look what, look what the Bible says. Look what the author of Genesis says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Okay, question, confession time. How many of us somehow grew up somewhere learning or thinking that work was the result of sin? That work was the result of some curse from sin? Anybody? Raise your hand. Be honest. Anybody? Two people? Okay, feel like it's just you and some other person. Many of us somehow get this mentality that, 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 that work and the ability to work and vocation is somehow a result of curse so that somehow when we get to heaven, guess what the first thing we're going to stop doing? Work. <laughs> yeah, wait to get to heaven. Wow, what are we going to do? We're just going to sit around and sing hallelujah in this one. Or work. What does God say? The Near Eastern accounts said that gods don't work. No, God created humans to work. But gods rested while humans work. The Western view, Romans and Greeks thought what? They illustrated the Pandora's box. When the Pandora's box is open, out comes death, disease, and, do you remember? Work. So work is looked upon as a curse, a result of sin, something you should avoid. And the Bible in Genesis says, the creator God is working. And then it goes further. And this is so powerful. Verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the, what? From the dust. From the dirt of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils breath of life. And the man became a living being. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. Do you see why what Paul is saying goes directly in the face of what the culture said? Paul says, if you're a Christian... We worship a God with dirt under his fingernails. We worship a God with dirt in his hands. We worship a God who doesn't mind rolling up his sleeve, digging a ditch, and planting a garden, and saying, look how beautiful that is. Look how good that is. In paradise before sin, there is beauty, there's food, there's laughter, there's sexuality, there is work. Manual labor work. Is this good news? It, the Bible goes out of its way to say that all forms of work is inherent value, inherent dignity, because our creator God is a worker. Guys, think about this. Just overall perspective. Think of major, the uh, major doctrines of the Bible. Creation, incarnation, resurrection, consummation. Creation. Creator God, dirt in his hands. Incarnation. God takes on the physical. Resurrection. God redeems the physical. And consummation. God is cleaning up the city after the great battle and raising up the new heavens and the new earth. Every major theological doctrine in the Bible has God with his hands 
working. Do you uh, have grease on your hands Monday through Friday? Do you uh, work with your hands? And let's be honest, we live in a culture today where the people say, what you do, especially if you work with your hands, menial night labor, uh, that, that is less worth. And somehow the people that do those jobs have less worth and less value. And the Bible says it could not disagree more. Can I speak to the rest of us though? Because there are many of us who are professionals, young professionals. We work wonder. Don't you dare think that you are somehow better than the doorman that you say hi to when you walk into your condo. In God's eyes, what you do, what he does, both have inherent dignity. It's funny, isn't it? God dug ditches. When he started to send the Savior, what did he come? He came as a what? He came as a carpenter. He didn't come as the Greeks expected, a philosopher. He didn't come as the uh, Romans expected, a noble statesman. He didn't come as the Jews expected, a general riding a horse. He came as a carpenter. And as I like to remind you guys, he was a union guy, okay? Jesus. One other thing. Are you a mom or a dad? And throughout the week, do you have poop on your hands? And you're sitting there going, this is, not, this is the job. This is not a job for anybody but somebody who just can't do anything. God says to you, what you do could not be more valuable, more important, more dignified. Moms out there who work with kids all day long, God looks at the work that you do and says, you've been called to that as valuable. It's precious in his eyes. Amen? By the way, be careful of how you treat people. When you walk out today, and I'll say this, come back. When you go to a restaurant today, please, when you go to a restaurant today, the people that you meet along the way inside the restaurant before you get your food, watch how you look at them. Is your theology affecting the way you look at people? All forms of work have inherent dignity. Secondly, secondly, Paul says, all forms of work are ways of loving others. All forms of work are ways of loving or serving others. Okay, another confession time. How many of us grew up in church with this misguided theology? That there were certain people who were, I'm going to put this in quotes, called into full-time ministry. And furthermore, if you were called, I'll stop after like two times, into full-time ministry, you were more spiritual, you were more godly, you were somehow better than the ordinary average Christians. How many of us? Yes? Yes? Okay. No. A lot of us. Okay. Not only that, but we took it a step further, see? And we said, so not only are the spiritual ones called into full-time ministry, but they also said, if you have to go, you know, do a job, the way you serve the Lord is make a lot of money and what? Give to the church and or the way to really serve the Lord in ministry is sing on the worship team. Help the youth group. Help the children's ministry. And the list goes on. Anybody say amen. Hey, we, a lot of us grew up in that, right? And then, and then some of us even went further, right? Even amongst the secular jobs, there were two tiers. There were the helping professions. Teachers, you're godly. Jesus loves you. Love those kids, right? Social workers, who would do what you want to do? We love you for what you do, so on and so forth. And then there were the, you know, lawyer. <laughs> you just want to make money. Do you even love Jesus, right? Or businessman. <laughs> business? Who does business unless you're greedy? And so on and so forth. Repeat after me. Repeat after me. My job is my ministry. 
No, no, no. Say it like you mean it. My job <laughs> is my ministry. <laughs> Secondly, and this is a tough one, I am. I am. Now, you don't know what I'm going to say, do you? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say so that you can read. I am, in the true sense of the word, a missionary. Ready? I am a missionary. One more time. My job is my ministry. I am a missionary. Do you believe that? Good Lord. Do you know the kind of cultural shifts that would take place if Christians genuinely believe that? Now, where do we get that? This is, this is powerful. Look, this is the part that we talked about. If you're reading the NIV, if you have like a, you know, your smarty pants, you have like a Greek Bible, you'll notice this. In Greek, it's one long sentence from 9 to 11. The NIV makes a break between verse 10 and verse 11. I'll tell you why that's important, right? Because it sounds like in the English Bible, it's saying this. Up to verse 10, it says love. Love one another. Do more and more. So verse 9 and 10 is about love. Break. And then verse 11, 12. Work with your hands. Work so that outsiders respect you. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is one long sentence, which means what? The Bible is going, love more. Love more. Love more. How? Get to work. Get to work. Love more. Do you want to be more loving? Bible says what? Get to work. That's what Paul is saying. At the end, he gets to this by saying, don't be dependent on anybody. In other words, Christian says, I don't want to be a drain on the community. I want to be an investor in the community. I don't want to be draining out of the community, but I want to invest into the common good. Yeah, I, I said this earlier, but some of us are really practicing deists, even though we're Christians. Deism basically says that God created the world. It's like he wound up a clock and he said, and that's devastating. And I would even say dangerous to the Christian faith. Why? If you believe that God just created the world and said, Boop, I wound the clock, there it goes. First of all, you miss out on this amazing doctrine called the sovereignty of God. That God is in control of every facet of life. But equally devastating is how we view work and vocation because this. The Bible says over and over and over and over again, God not only creates his creation, but that today he loves it, that he cares for it, and that he sustains it every moment. Jesus says, my father is working to this day even as I am working. Why is that important? Look at what the Bible says about what God is up to. Psalm 104, 24. It says, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food at their proper time. Verse 28. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. And when you send your spirit, you renew the face of the earth. Psalms and Proverbs over and over again says that God not only created all the creation, but that he loves it. He sustains it. He feeds it. Psalm 65, 9. You, God, care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For you have ordained it. Church, who provides the people with grain? Church, who provides the people with grain? God. 
One more. I could go on and on and on, but one more. Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is faithful and loving toward all he made. Verse 15. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God is loving towards his creation. God is sustaining his creation. How? Through ordinary people being faithful to what God has called them to do. When you go out to eat today, the waitress who brings the food, the cook who makes the meal in the back, the trucks that brought the firm where the wholesales were, everybody in the food processing industry, the ranchers, the farmers, and the list goes on and on. The Bible says, all of those people are being used to answer your simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Can I just ask a tough question? When's the last time you went out to eat and you said, Lord, thank you for this food and God, thank you for the cook in the back who provided this so that I could enjoy it. Uh, when's the last time on the receipt wrote a small note said, thank you to the waitress for serving us today. God bless you. When's the last time you were tangibly cognizant of the fact that your prayer, give us this our daily bread, instead of sending manna from heaven, God uses every facet of society to go, here's how I meet your needs. Martin Luther took it even further, and he said, ordinary people are masks of God. I love that. When you see a mom, ordinary face. When you see an engineer, a teacher, a doctor, a waitress, an ordinary face. Martin Luther goes, those are the masks of God. Those are people that God uses to be his hands and his feet to provide for the needs that we have. It's a beautiful illustration. Martin Luther said, so when the farm girl milks the cow, that's God milking the cow and providing milk for you. God doesn't have to use her, but he does. God heals the sick. He could do it supernaturally, and he does. But God uses nurses, doctors, people in the medical profession. God uses teachers to teach. God could populate the earth by creating from dust to the ground again. But he uses parents. And I could go on and on and on. Masks of God from which God loves sustains and cares for his creation. Do you know this? Has this struck you? Has this impacted you to the degree that you're looking at what you do and saying, God, today, as I dig a ditch, as I fix a car, as I make people laugh, as I write, as I work on this program, as I work on... uh, Business people, derivatives. Is that what they're called? Derivatives? Derivatives. Let's just say derivatives. I know that they're kind of good, but really bad and poorly used by Wall Street. Something along those lines. Derivatives. Whatever it is that you do in the finance world. See, I'm a terrible pastor. I should know what you do in the financial world. But anyway, whether you teach, whether your mom's caring for your children, whatever you do, the Bible says, you're not just doing it. You're masks of God. The instrument, the channel to which God sustains, loves and cares for his creation every day. Every day. Give me a two, three minutes to, 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 to just kind of 
talk a little bit about one of the practical ramifications of this, particularly as related to, and again, I'm speaking to the vast majority of you who are at a point, whether you don't have a job, you're a college student, you're at a place where you're at a place and you're going, God, what do I do with my future? What do I do with my life? What do I do? Um, this is somewhat um, going to be kind of hard pill to swallow. I'm going to tell you in advance, okay? So brace yourself, and then we'll maybe talk more afterwards, okay? So here it is. I think it's a terrible advice. After this, by the way, nobody will come up and go, I want some career advice, Peter. Tell I think it's a terrible, terrible advice to tell people, here's what you should do. What are you really good at? Terrible advice. So if you want to come to me, I will never tell you what are you really good at because it's what you should do. Secondly, I think it's a terrible advice to tell people, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? I think it's a terrible advice. So if you come to me for advice, I will never tell you to do what you're good at and tell you what you're passionate about. Why? The Bible says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we love that. Peter, I have my own unique personality that God gave me. Yes, you do. I have these skills that God gave me. Yes, you do. And I have these passions that God gave me. Yes, you do. And you're special. Your personality, your skill set, what you love to do. But here's the thing. It is an absolute dangerous thing to assume that just because you have a skill set at something, and that you love to do something, that God is somehow dictated by that and that it is within his will and direction for your life that you only do what it is that you're good at doing and what you love to do. Can I say that again? See, this goes against Western thought. That's why I'm going to say it again. It's one thing to go, God made me special. God gave me these gifts. God gave me these passions. But it's another thing to go, therefore, God, I will wind up doing something. You will call me to do something that I'm really, really good at and that I have a passion for. So that when we go through seasons in life where we're not doing something that we're really, really good at or doing something that we really, really, really love, we go, God, there's something wrong with this. When in fact, all God might be saying is, I have given you gifts, I have given you passions, but just because I've given you gifts and I've given you passions doesn't mean that I'm going to call you and the direction and will for your life will be something that you love to do and that you're really good at every single day of your life. Does that make sense? See, for some of us, this is where we are. Some of us find ourselves, it's like we look at ourselves as employees, and God is this good, benevolent boss. And so we're good employees, and we work really, really hard, and we do what we do. And God is this boss who says, well, my employees are really, really good. They work really, really hard. So I'm going to provide something for them to keep them really, really good, entertained and, and good at what they do. And so when we find ourselves doing something that we don't like, we go, God, this is something that I don't like doing. This has nothing to do with my passions, and I'm not very good at this, so this can't be something that you've called me to do. Or if we find something that we really love and we're really glad, we go, God, this is definitely something you called me to do and I'm going to wind up doing this for the rest of my life. Because the truth is this. We're not called to self-actualization. We're not called to do, God, that thing I'm really good at and that thing I really love and you have no other will for my life. We're called to carry the cross, die to ourselves. We are called to follow his desires and his will first and foremost. And we are called, and the most important thing is not, God, am I doing what I like to do? The most important thing is, what have you called me to do, whether I'm good at it or whether I like it? I know this is hard. I know this is hard, but I'm pushing you a little bit and challenging you a little bit. Here's what I found, just to kind of soften the blow a little bit. I don't know about you, but I found in my life, because there have been times when I'm doing something that I'm not very good at, I don't like to do. 
I've always found that whatever it is that God has called me to do was way better than what I had planned to do. Anybody else find that to be the case? So here's the question that I want to pose to you. Instead of just asking, what am I really good at? What am I, re- what am I really good at? What do I really have a passion for? Sure, God can. Yes, God can. And maybe his call for you is to be in that area where you're really good at and you have a passion for it. Maybe that's God's call for your life. But if you're in seasons of life and you go through times where you're going, God, I'm not very good at this. I'm not very passionate about this. Or you're at a place where you're just sort of like, God, I don't know what I want to do. Here's my advice. Will you ask this question? What people needs do I resonate with? What people needs do I resonate with? Question is, what do you see out there that you feel some resonance with, you know? If, if the entirety of, of doctrine of work or vocation is to serve and to love his creation, and yes, there are times when God will call us, and it's wonderful to be in places where we're doing what we love to do and we're really good at it. But if you're at a place where you're going, God, I'm confused what I want to do, ask the question. And please, don't ask what am I good at. I had a mentor tell me this, and it was really powerful, stung but powerful. He said, Peter, people in their 20s shouldn't ask what am I really good at. Because he said people in their 20s don't know what they're very good at. I'm 43 years old. I still don't know what I'm very good at. Why? What you're good at is determined upon life experience. And you don't have limited, you have limited life experience. And in your 30s and 40s, you might wind up being really, really good at something that you didn't think you were very good in 20s. So instead of asking the question, what am I really good at? And by the way, don't get me started on the aptitude tests. <sighs> the aptitude tests are the dumbest thing in the world for me. Like going to career counselors. <sighs> when you go to career counselors, see the aptitude tests. What are the aptitudes based on? They're based on your experience, okay? And your self-understanding of your gifts and your abilities. So how accurately can we discern what it is that we might want to do when it's purely based on my limited life experience and my understanding of what it is that I think I'm good at? Instead of asking, what am I good at? We ask the question, what are the needs out there? What are the people needs out there that I resonate with? I just, if you're at a place right now where you're not employed, and we're going to pray, by the way, for folks who are not employed right now in a really difficult financial situation, and you're at a new place of going, God, I thought I was going to do this because I'm really, really good at it, and I really, really love it, but maybe instead of doing that, because you could have me do something along the lines, but what are the people needs do I resonate with? What are things that I can do for human flourishing? What are things that I can do that will contribute to the common good? What are the things and the needs in my city, around the world that I can do that will bring about spiritual, economic, social healing? There are certain jobs that do nothing for human flourishing, but just make a lot of money. I think Christians should avoid those jobs, like being a professional spammer. I don't think you should be a professional spammer. I think Christians should stay away from those jobs. But vast majority of the jobs, ask yourself, am I contributing financially, uh, spiritually, relationally, socially to what I'm doing? By the way, if you're in a job, I get this from a lot of bankers in our church who say, Peter, all I do is just make money for companies. What do I do? If you're in a particular job where it's not as easy to kind of connect, how does what I do add to human flourishing? Ask yourself this question. Even in the current job I have, in my office, with my workers, in this apartment, what are things that I can do so that they would become spiritual, relational, social, healing, and flourishing? I'll say one other thing, and then we'll move on to the third point. I had one person give me this advice, and it was, it was pretty powerful. 
He says, don't follow your passions. Again, going back to the whole, what am I? Don't follow your passions. He said, passion is something that follows you. Passion is something that follows you as you work really hard at something and you contribute significantly over a period of time. You know what I heard from one person? They did this research. They said, how does it people come to understand their calling? You know what the one determining factor was? How people understand their calling? It wasn't, what am I good at? How much... How people determined their calling was longevity and how long they did it. Because what happened was as people worked at certain things and became good at it and began to contribute to the larger society, passion began to grow. Passion began to swell. Passion. Don't follow your passions. Ask, what does the world need? Commit to it. Passions might follow you. Lastly, all work is unto the Lord. All work is unto the Lord. First Thessalonians. It's not in the text that we read, but it's up top in this entire section on Thessalonians 4. When Paul says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you're living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And what Paul says there is found throughout his epistles. Let me just give you one other example. Colossians 2.23. He says, whatever you do. Actually, you know what, church? Let's read this together. Here we go. Ready? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I can't read that passage without stopping at whatever you do. Whatever you do. Some of us go, but it's not what I want to do. God goes, not the issue. Whatever you do, you know, Peter, I'm an unbelievable singer, and I want to do that for the rest of my life, but right now, I'm just working at this office. Whatever you do. I just work to put food on the table. Whatever you do. Some of us, I am way overqualified and way underpaid. Whatever you do. Whatever it is that you're doing right now, Tuesday, Wednesday, work with all your heart because you work for the Lord. And Paul is just completely relativizing, you guys. Human bosses, human supervisors, even human work. Paul is saying to business people right here, hey man, you're not ultimately working for investments. You're not ultimately working for profits. You're not working for those things. You're working as unto the Lord. Peter, you have no idea who I work for. I'm going to go, I hate my principal. I hate my supervisor. Paul relativizes Ultimately, you are not working for him. You are not working for her. You are not working for a paycheck. You are not working for a pat on the back from saying you're good. You are ultimately working for the Lord. 
And he says, do it with all your heart. Another way to say this is, listen, are you going to work for that person that you might not have in three years? Or are you going to work for your ultimate supervisor and boss who you'll have three million years from now? Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't deceive, be deceived into thinking that it's just between you and your company. Don't be deceived into thinking, I can leave tomorrow. My company will continue to go on. God says, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, and again, it comes straight against how we've been influenced. God, what I'm really wanting to do is work that place and make that money. That's what I really want to do because, you know, I have skill set for that and gifts for that. God says, maybe that's my will for you. But God goes, rather than asking what and how much or where and how much, God says, I'm way more concerned with how you do your job, where I've placed you. And I tell you, the scariest thing for me is the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to be held accountable for every single thing that we've done, and that includes our work. It's going to include those three years in that company that you just wasted time because you're like, I'm too good for this. It's going to include those three years that you did that temp job because you're like, you know what, I really want to do that, but I can't, and I'm just going to buy my time. There is no dichotomy of spiritual and secular in the kingdom. They all fall under the lordship of Jesus. And he says, I am watching to see Tuesday whether you're going to slide into work and go, can't wait till Friday. (laughs) You're going to slide into work and go, Facebook. Guys, ESPN or whatever it is that you do. God says, you know what it's like to work for people. Do as little as possible. Stretch out the lunchtime. Leave the lights on at work before you go so people think you're working really, really hard. Take credit for things that you had nothing to do with. And the list goes on. God says, you're working for someone who you'll have your boss for three million years from now. Again, this is another thing that my mentor kind of Help me understand. I'm 43, and maybe this is a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) When I was in my 20s and 30s, whatever I was doing was not my last job. And here's the thing. Whatever work I was doing, I didn't realize, the next place I went to required skills that I really needed to learn where I was. Are you hearing me? It's almost never the case that I went to do something else. It was like, ah, that had nothing to do with it. Every single other place that I went to, there was some skill set that I needed to develop in the place that I was for my next place. Where you are right now, God's going, you realize you're completely obsessed with change and career and future and what I want to do. And God's going, here's two things I'm concerned about. One, where I've placed you, not an accident. Work with all your heart. Twice. Secondly, there are things that you're learning right there, right now. It's probably going to be important the next place you go to. (sighs) Y'all excited to go back to work on Tuesday? I am. 
Let me go ahead and end with this. Carlton, you can come on up. I need to end with the gospel. I need to end with the gospel because the, the last thing, thank you, sir. Michael, you don't have your white handkerchief anymore? <laughs> I need to start carrying my own, man. By the way, I have like four of those. I washed them there at home. I'll bring it to you. I think it's so critical, church, that, that, that Paul says in verse 1, live your life in order to, do you catch the word? Please, God. Do you catch that? And Paul doesn't say, live your life in order to, listen, appease God. World of difference. Some of us are working to please God. Some of us are working to appease God. What do I mean? Here's what appeasing means. If you go to work Tuesday, because that gives you identity, that's appeasing. If you go to work because you find fulfillment only in your work, that's appeasing. If you go to work on Tuesday and you find your identity, significance, and worth, or you go to work because somehow it's to fulfill Asians, your parents' expectations of what you wanted to do, that's appeasing. Paul doesn't say, do your work in order to appease God. He says, do your work in order to what? Please God. And you know what word please means? It means to do the work for the, for the sheer joy of pleasing your master. For the sheer joy of pleasing your master. Jonathan Edwards wrote a long treatise called Nature of True Virtue. And in it, he says this. It's so powerful. He says, Unless you are absolutely ravished by the grace of God, and you have an absolute understanding of the grace of God, that Christ has done all the work necessary for you to earn acceptance, significance. He says everything you and I do will be out of self-interest. Everything. In other words, we'll never do the work for the work itself. We'll never do the work for God. We'll never do the work for the people we help. We will always do the work. Self-interest. That's for us. And it will create enormous anxiety. Why? If you're doing the work for self-interest, you're either going to work really, really hard, overwork, burn yourself out, or you're going to underwork. Say, I'm better than this. He'd be cynical, lazy. Paul says, but unless you understand the grace of God and you no longer work from this function of, I'm doing to get an identity, to get a significance, because this makes me money instead. Paul says, when you understand the grace of God, and only when you understand the grace of God, can you truly move out and truly help people for the sake of just helping people. Only then can you truly move out and do the work for the joy of the work. And only then can you move out and truly do it for the joy and pleasure of serving your master. Because if you are not ravished by the grace of God and the gospel has not gripped your heart, you will look at your work and your vocation find meaning significant. Here's the irony. You ready? If you look to your work to find fulfillment, you will never experience fulfillment. Never. You'll be racked with anxiety. So what about you? Why do you do what you do? Why will you get up Tuesday and do what you do? True virtue. Are you ravished by the grace of God? Are you ravished by the grace of God? And before you go to your office, it's been a while. Before you even go into your office, you're saying, my identity is secure. My significance is secure. My foundation is secure. My worth is secure. So I am freed to go. I'm going to love them for the joy of just loving them. I'm going to give for the sheer joy of just giving. I'm going to go work for the sheer joy of pleasing my master. 
Yes, it's kind of like chariots of fire. It is kind of like chariots of fire. Eric Little, the flying Scotsman, 1924 Olympics, 400 gold medal, for me to gold medalist. He's talking to his sister. I think God made me for China, but God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. By the way, guys, that's like the most amazing pickup line I've ever heard, by the way. If you go to a woman and go, here's what I do, what I do. When I do that, I feel God's pleasure. Inappropriate. (laughs) Eric Little runs hard. He works hard, super, super hard. But there are limits. There are boundaries. Oh, by the way, the main meets on a Sunday. No, thank you. Can't run. Why? Because I rest on Sunday. You're going to give up the, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Do you remember the other fella? Harold Abrams. 20-year-old, look at me. Look at me. And the rest of you guys, you can look at me too. But 20-year-old, look at me. He's 24. What does he say? He says, I have what? He says, I run. And sometimes I don't even know why. I'm pursuing something. Don't even know what for. And then the line that just kills you. He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. So he runs. And there's no joy. He runs. And he's burdened. He runs. Going, why am I doing this again? What am I doing this for? Why do you work? Why do you work? Because when I do, Peter, I feel his pleasure. I'm his child, you see. I've been ravished by his love, you see. And I feel his pleasure. Or I got to work because this is significant status, money. It's where I find fulfillment and justify my existence. Why do you work? Church, let's all stand together as we do this commissioning. Stand with me. And again, it will be call and response. I'll say the first portion and then you'll say the second. And particularly today, we remember all the occupations that are vocations that are needed for the flourishing of this city of Chicago and all over the world. As those who have committed to following Christ's call on your lives, will you allow the expression of your personality and the exercise of your spiritual gifts as well as your natural talents and abilities to be directed and empowered for the glory of the Jesus Christ our Lord? Will you obey the command of the cultural mandate to rule over the earth, to work it and care for it, fulfilling your image-bearing ability to create from that which was created for God's glory? With God's help, we will. Will you be used by God to transform your vocation wherever that may be? 
so that it reflects God's kingdom values and its service to humanity and in its role of cultivating the world's resources. God is our help. We will. Will you encourage one another towards seeing your work as more than just a job or a paycheck, but as the very means by which God is redeeming and loving the world through his people? With God's help, we will. Will you always give yourselves fully to the work of your hands because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain? With God as our help, we will. Will you work six days and then take a Sabbath day's rest? Trusting in God's provision and viewing your work as part of a rhythm of a holistic life of worship with no secular versus sacred dichotomy. With God as our help, we will. And lastly, in whatever you do, we work at it with all your heart because you are actually working for the Lord and not just for people. With God as our help, we will. With God as our help, we will.